Well, thank you, uh, Don, and all of those that contributed. Uh, we're looking forward to this uh, children's message series that is guiding us into practices of prayer. And that's going to fit well with our series that we're looking into right now called Being Formed. We started this last week um, looking at this image of manure uh, where we were encouraged to think to what sorts of nourishing practices can we do in, in allowing our roots uh, to be exposed to the, the nutrients that, that the gardener uh, puts before us. And today, we're looking at a message that's called Constant Vigilance of the Heart. Um, constant Vigilance of the Heart could also be um, Guard Your Heart um, and this message is going to be in Proverbs 4, uh, verses 10 through 27. Uh, so I invite you to open up your Bibles to uh, that passage. And we're going to be focused specifically on Proverbs 4, verse 23. Uh, so today we're looking at this guarding of the heart uh, that, that we do throughout our, our day-to-day lives and in our daily rhythms. And this is going to set us up for the following two weeks where, where we look at how we can be uh, formed into the likeness of Christ. Uh, before we turn to God's word, uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, transform us by your word that we may hear and be formed through the working of your spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. Proverbs 4. Starting in verse 10. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction, do not let it go. Guard it well for it is your life. Do not set your foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel in on it. Turn from it and go on your way. For they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they can make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining even brighter till the full light of day. But the way of wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet. And be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep 
your foot from evil. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to begin with this image here. Uh, this should be familiar if, if you follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, this is what we had posted. It reads, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And, and you see in the background there, uh, we have the image of a mall. When, when I read, um, above, else, above all else, guard your heart, uh, the, the image that came to my mind was that of a mall. Because uh, malls aren't just the place where we go to shop. Uh, they're also a place that forms us in our desires. It, it forms us in the place of our hearts. Uh, to help us think of the, the mall like this, I think we have to make the mall uh, a little bit of a foreign to us. So we're going to start with a bit of an exercise. It's one that comes uh, from James K. Smith's uh, book, You Are What You Love. And in this, he, he asks that we look at the mall through the lens of, uh, of a Martian. So we're, we're pretending there's a, a student in Mars who is looking at the mall, and he's doing a homework assignment on it, 500-word essay, um, and to see what is it that malls are. Here's the, the sampling. Malls on Earth, an inside look. This is how a mall works. These large spaces are made for humans to wander, looking for an appropriate chapel. There may be many options, and each one has, a glass, has glass displays or posters, and, and each one gives their best visual version of the good life. The people in the posters and the displays convey a quiet contentment. Each display advertises something that the person looking in doesn't have but should. They represent a wholeness that you're supposed to experience if you had what they had. These glass displays are invitations into their chapels. Each one invites the people inside to taste and to see whether it is providing what they long for. These seekers are greeted by a welcoming attendant who offers to shepherd them through the experience. Uh, these people are not pushy so as to turn them away, but invite them to experience the space on their own terms. The people respond in cautious, curious, and tentative ways, wandering in the space, hoping for a moment where they can finally find the thing that they are looking for. It's a little strange because they didn't know what they were looking for when they came in, but as the glass cases indi indicated, it had to be in there somewhere. Through the acts of combing through the racks or even trying on something for themselves, the person either finds the thing they are looking for or they continue in their search in the next chapel. This ritual they do runs on a cycle. It teaches them to find fulfillment behind the glass cases. Sooner or later, they will be aching to go back. 
They don't know exactly what it is that they want, but there is an instinct that they will find what they are looking for there. I'm not sure what grade we would give this student, uh, how well they did. You might think that they made a a bit of a mistake in in thinking that the malls were a a religious center or a kind of religious place. Uh, But when when James K. Smith is making a connection between uh, the mall being a religious place, um, he's, he's trying to make a point here that, that malls are actually in, the, in a similar uh, business as religious centers. They too are about personal formation. In fact, uh, they actually might have an edge on a lot of religious places on how they instruct us. Where religion often focuses on head knowledge, uh, trying to cram all the right information into our heads, The mall relies on feel, on instinct, on repetition, on doing things that form our hearts and our desires and our loves. For those um, who remember going to malls, uh, you you might remember this intuitive sort of way that, that we comb through the racks, seeking the thing that will bring some sort of fulfillment. You're not sure exactly what it is, but when you find it, you just know. There's something instinctual to shopping. We might think we're approaching it with logic, with our our price points, or or kind of knowing um, exactly the, the type of thing that we're going to buy, but there is a desire that's governing us as we shop. Now, in making this point, Um, Smith isn't just being anti-mall. His point isn't to say we shouldn't shop. Uh, His point is actually to look at what can we learn from malls? What can we learn about how they instruct people? Here we have an institution that has specialized in forming people's desires. They don't do it with indoctrination. We don't take seminars on how to shop We just do it. We walk the aisles. We feel the fabric on the racks. We we try on things for ourselves. We test out the products. We're not given doctrinal statements on the good life. We're, We're given pictures that are supposed to bring us a longing for the good life that we see there. Their vision of the good life, even though there's no formal indoctrination of it, is clear and precise for everyone to see. And they do all this without this extra sort of catechism. We're invited into the desire-forming actions in the day-to-day life. Proverbs 4, 23. Above all else, guard your heart. The insight that our actions form our desires means that whatever the person is saying when they say, guard your heart, isn't just saying that we're supposed to intellectually guard something. 
It, it involves habits. You'll find if we read uh, the Proverbs section a little bit more, it's full of language of walking, of moving, of action, of where your feet take you. Uh, this passage was quite popular in, in the early church. You see it coming over and over again in the first four centuries. It reminds me a, a little bit of uh, Mad-Eye Moody and his call for constant vigilance. We need to be constantly on watch, keeping our eyes moving around to see what could be impacting us. Um, one pastor in particular uh, from the fourth century, he's remembered by the name uh, Basil the Great, um, he brings this call for constant vigilance of the heart. And if the phrasing in there, like constant vigilance of the heart, reminded you of a song, a Total Eclipse of the Heart from 1983, uh, this Basil's statement has it beat by 1,600 years. So this is kind of the, the original impetus for it. He says this about the constant vigilance of our hearts. The heart, like a golden treasure, is the object of constant vigilance. It needs to be watched Day and night, for thieves may come and steal it without you being aware of it. The image that comes to mind here is this, of, of a man and his treasure. We have the image. Yes, there it is. Uh, we have the image of a man and his treasure, and he is supposed to have his eyes on the treasure there, to be constantly on watch. But here, if, if they look away, someone might come in and take the treasure and run off with it. And, and the person here is still kind of in this happy contentment. They think that because he's close to where his treasure is, that it's fine. Uh, but it's kind of been taken without his looking. He didn't have that constant vigilance. Uh, the heart needs constant vigilance because... It changes in ways that, that are subtle and in ways that we don't always think about. If not under close watch, uh, it can be stolen. And this is something that the early church had, had a really high awareness of in ways that we in our kind of more modern, um, enlightened, kind of 21st century way of thinking of things, uh, we often forget and we try to more intellectualize things. When we let down our guard, it might end up um, looking like this person over here. Uh, kind of looking over here, but still being content, thinking that the treasure is still kept safe. Let's combine the two big ideas uh, so far. As God's people, we are called to constant vigilance of the heart. We are called to constant guarding of our heart, and the other part is that our hearts, our, our desires, our loves are formed by the things that we do. Our day-to-day -day rituals, the day-to-day -day habits that we have. Uh, and we started with an example from the mall, but this is by no means unique to the mall. This, this extends into every part of our lives. So uh, to, to try... Explore this a little more. We're going to have uh, two more images and, and then uh, a gospel reflection after. 
Uh, the first example comes from uh, where you sit or where you used to sit at church. Um, when I first came to Living Hope, it was right after our renovation, and people were being encouraged to sit in somewhere different from the, their regular spots. And there was a couple of reasons for this. Uh, one reason was during the renovation, uh, people were sitting in, in the fellowship hall, and they noticed that they were getting to know people that they hadn't seen for a long time and, and starting up conversations because uh, before they weren't necessarily seeing them Sunday to Sunday because they sat in different spots normally. So one of the reasons why we could mix up where we're sitting is a, an act of um, getting to know our community more. Uh, another act is that, or another reason is that it's an act of hospitality. Uh, for people that are visiting, uh, the, when they come the, the first or second or third time, they could be a little bit on edge not knowing if they're taking someone's spot. Uh, I've been visiting different churches before and noticed that I, I accidentally took someone's spot because I came too early. Um, and having, having a culture where we don't have distinctive spots can be helpful in being a welcoming group. Now, with those reasons outlined, one of the things that I heard as I started doing visits uh, was that people were trying this out and they found it really hard. Uh, it was, it was a strange thing. They said they, they came to church, uh, or they gave it a try, and they didn't like it, so they, they went back to their spot. Or even some people that came to the church intending on sitting somewhere else, but when they got there, they just had to go back. Now, in looking at this, uh, the, the model of our habits forming us and forming our desires helps to make sense a little bit. That even the ritual of where we sit subtly and subconsciously forms us. It forms us without us thinking about it. Nobody that I talked to thought, if I just sit somewhere for 28 years in the same spot, that even the act of walking into that space will prepare me for worship. There, was, there wasn't necessarily intentionality for it, but that's what, what happened over time. From that vantage point of that spot, that person may have heard hundreds of sermons and sung thousands of songs, sung many different liturgies and spoken many prayers. How could that not form someone in some way? There's, there's a deep connection to something that otherwise might seem kind of frivolous or, or meaningless. Intellectually, the spot is just a spot. If all we are is thinking things, then it should be easy. If we're not formed by our habits, then it should be an easy thing just to sit somewhere else. But it's proven to be a challenge. The longer we practice something, the deeper it gets ingrained into us. Our seasoned practices greet us like old friends. We don't have to think about it. We just arrive and it feels right. And that language of feeling is the, the language that I kept on coming across in visits where it, they didn't have a rational explanation to why. It just felt right. It's kind of that, that instinct, that, that intuition that we're formed by. Now, this isn't a defense for sitting in the same spot. Um, 
In fact, I hope that when it, it comes to the time where we come back to this space, that we do try sitting in different spots because I think it's worth uh, the, the benefits to our community and getting to know our greater community better. I think it, it's good to be hospitable and, and to practice that hospitality so people can be comfortable when they come in and where they're sitting. But there's that acknowledgement that this is actually a real and, and a hard challenge for many of us, that, that we ought to be challenged into giving up something meaningful to us for the benefit of hospitality for others, that, that it's worth doing something as hard as giving up your space. Um, and I think there's also a, a connection to the present moment as well. Um, how you attend to our services matters. So it's not just attending our services online, but, but how you attend to the services matters. Whether you still dress up in your Sunday best, or whether you're in pajamas and slippers, whether you're finishing your breakfast while worship starts, or whether you watch the service later and fast forward or, or pause through different parts. These actions are actions that we repeat and they form us in how we understand church. Now, there can be positive effects. Uh, I was tuning in on the worship symposium again, and one person noted that actually the, the casual way in which they enter into church has a benefit, uh, that we come into our worship of God without our masks on. We're, we're not having to feel like we have to put on a, a better self. Uh, but some people are worshiping in, in their most authentic way, their most open way during this time. But there's also a danger where we might get used to treating church like a product, something that we can fast forward or pause in order to fit our schedules rather than something that we do together as a community. New, new practices will always affect us and impact us in some way. The, the question is not if these things and our habits are changing us, it's how they're changing us. Are these new practices that we're doing, are they changing us in ways that are positive? The next example is uh, adapted from You Are What You Love again. Um, and that's the book, by the way, I'd recommend. I think I have a couple extra copies if you're interested in checking it out. Uh, this next example takes us into our homes and it challenges the notion that the things that are in our heads are the most important things, that, that just trying to get the right information is important. Here, I'm picturing a household that, that when you come in, there's, there's scripture verses above the doors, and you come into different rooms, and you see uh, there's Bible passages kind of in frames in, in every room. There are reminders of scripture throughout the house that, that signal that this is a group that is religious. You might walk into the home and think that the people have it together. However, when you stick around and you see people and their day-to-day -day rituals, the day-to-day -day living, you find that perhaps they're at a frantic, that they're going at these breakneck speeds. The desires that drive these people, 
don't seem to be the well-ordered desires that are rooted in God, but instead they seem to be buying into this need to do more and to be more. The walls speak scripture, but the day-to-day habits speak production and consumption. The walls highlight a religion that is about salvation from God and sacrifice, but the practices in the home constantly reinforce a self-centeredness. The pictures can be misleading. It's not that having the scripture passages is a bad thing. It's when we think that having that will immediately impact our behaviors. That if we think just downloading the information into our minds because we think we're primarily about thinking about things, that that will make us more Christian in our behaviors. But we don't have an appropriate attentiveness to our day-to-day habits, what we're doing in the day-to-day that forms us into the likeness of Christ. Guarding your heart requires constant vigilance. It requires that we unmask our day-to-day practices that form us in these small and subtle ways. Now, where is the gospel in all of this? We know that we have forces working against us, but, but we also know that in Christ we have one that is stronger than all of these forces combined. Uh, this doesn't mean that it will be easy, but it means that our position in the battle is backed. Also, I think this helps us understand why the gospel needs to be understood in relational terms. Sin isn't just an, an arbitrary uh, disobeying of a rule. Uh, sin is often described as rebelling from God. So think, think of it in terms of you are in your forming your desires and, and satisfying your, your own desires rather than turning to creation as a way of glorifying God. That doing that is an act of rebellion against God. Now, if you're in an act of rebellion against someone, it's really hard to say that you are acting in love towards that person, that that you are fundamentally postured in love. Um, As as someone in rebellion, if if sin is rebellion, then then we have a bit of a problem that, that we can't authentically also say that that we are desiring and that we are fully loving towards God in the midst of our sin. It shouldn't surprise us then that the gospel story of salvation includes a God who is love itself and is the one that is rescuing us back to him. Um, Salvation is relational and it's the restoring of that relationship Restoring us in how we love. And 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 it's not that we love ourselves back to God, but God's love, that God loves us first, and Christ saves us, he forgives us in our sins, he forgives us in the ways that we've had our desires disordered, and in Christ we're called into this deeper formation of our love towards God. 
This is something that involves uh, the formation of the Spirit, attentiveness to how the Spirit is guiding us, to be able to resist the forces of evil. The Spirit is what prompts us to repent in places where we have failed, places where, we, where our desires have been distorted. The Spirit also prompts us in creating counter habits, in doing things that form us into the likeness of Christ. Now, a hint to the, the direction that this can take and, and one uh, word that we can follow that brings us clarity in, in the Christian life is the word disciple. Uh, notice that when Jesus calls his disciples, he doesn't just bring them in a classroom for, for formal instruction on what to know. That, that when Jesus invites his disciples, he calls them to follow him. And in the following of him, they, they literally are just walking with him from town to town. They're participating in the healing of the sick and the challenging of the authorities. They're challenged into acting of ways of the servant and showing unconditional love. Uh, disciples are formed as those who are following the God who shows them how to love. And then it's not too surprising then when we follow into the, the New Testament writings uh, that the Apostle Paul talks about love quite a bit. Um, here's an example from Philippians 1, verse 9 through 11, where he says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depths of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of our God. So here we have the, the love that may abound more and more and the, the purpose of that love, the eventual outworking of that love is the glory and praise of God in the end. Having our love abound more and more is not a, a periphery thing. This is a, a central thing in our walk with Christ. And we develop as people who guard our hearts and move and we walk into ways that are loving. One aspect of discipleship, too, is that we do this together. Uh, we're not meant to do this alone. Uh, so at our church, this could look like being a part of side-by-side -side ministry, but it could mean being a part of something else. Whatever the case is, I don't think that we should be content on doing things on our own. Uh, private devotional uh, habits are important, uh, but so is connecting with someone in our day-to-day -day life. And to, to frame where we are right now in, in the midst of the, the COVID restrictions, we're about 10, 11 months in, and some of the guesses that are out there is that we still have another eight, 10 months left, maybe more, maybe less. But there still is uh, some significant time here. What are ways that, that we can be connecting with others and, and showing that we care in deepening our relationships with people, uh, perhaps that are 
outside of our family? Do we have opportunities to connect and to grow deeper? Does our church have spaces where old and young can learn from one another? And I know it can be an intimidating thing. Uh, kind of put yourself out there. Uh, what if there are awkward silences? There probably will be. Uh, but sometimes it's, it's good to challenge ourselves to go beyond what is comfortable uh, for, for the sake of, of community, to sacrifice something of ourselves uh, that we can grow together as people in Christ. Uh, so whether it's side-by-side ministry or through other ministries or just through um, intentional connections that you're making, um, I encourage you to, to grow with others. And we can do this knowing that we start on these journeys not alone, uh, that Jesus is the one who forms our loves. Uh, we're called uh, to align our loves and our desires with his, uh, to be able to speak, thy will be done, um, th- thy kingdom come. Um, our response for today, in looking specifically at Proverbs 4, verse 23, is constant vigilance. Guard our hearts. Uh, next week, we're going to look a little bit deeper at what the, the counter movements to this is, um, how we're formed in the likeness of Christ. Uh, But this week, I want you to be considering these types of questions. What what actions, what what habits do we have in the day-to-day that are are set to the rhythms of consumerism or production? What are things that silently shape us, that distract our hearts or, or turn our hearts while we're not paying attention. In the practices in the last 10 months, uh, things like church attendance, uh, how how is the change in the practices forming you differently? Do you have new habits that you're developing? Uh, Pointing towards next week, How can we practice selflessness and to have those things grow more natural, more intuitive? How do we build habits that form us in patience and in love? As we reflect on these varied questions, let's just take a moment of silence to prepare ourselves and then pray. Dear Lord, form us. We are more than thinking things. Uh, We feel, we want, we love. And as we live and act in this world, our loves can get confused and mixed up. Help us to rightly order our loves. Draw us into repentance where we fail where we fail to love rightly. May we see that rightly ordered love brings us the joy of creation as it should be. As we go about our day-to-day activities, uncover 
how we may form ourselves into your likeness. We pray this in your name. Amen.